what it would mean. I realized that having one foot in and one foot out wouldn't work. happened very organically for me. I had to determine that my husband and I would both want to be in D.C., that it was viable to move our children, that they would be happy in their new environment. Um, after new releases. Ken's new releases. And number one this week, baby dolls or grown-up girls. Something different. Something fun. For only £4.50. Baby dolls make a perfect present for grown-up girls. Baby dolls now from Dorothy Perkins. Come on in, try it on. It's after I decided I wanted to try, I needed to divest of numerous businesses. Um, so did my husband. And I went. Insignia's got everything shampoo to shower gel, deodorant, and aftershave with one all over smell. Insignia, the new all over body program. It's new Insignia, and it's all over now. How I could help my father, and ultimately, the country. Tunes. How I could help my father and ultimately the country. Tunes. Hello there, my frosty tootsicles. It's Chappie, your British butler. Keep calm and cauliflower cheers is back again. And we're completely covered with a blanket of snow. I'm looking out of the window. There's a huge Christmas tree, a huge sort of fir tree, covered with snow. All the branches are covered with snow. I almost feel like leaning across and putting some baubles all over the tree. Maybe some 1970s tinsel as well. You know, gold tinsel star at the top. Uh, We all had those, didn't we? You know the people who had them. And, uh, oh, it's it's so beautiful out here. It's really a winter wonderland. So feeling a little bit seasonal. And um, a beautiful dog walk this morning. I wish I had a sleigh, because the dogs are so excited. I could be uh, carried along on a sleigh. And I think they were, you know, a rather energetic corgi and an older border collie would have carried me through the snow, through the winter wonderland, probably all the way to the North Pole. And that's where we're going today. We're going all the way to the North Pole. We're going to Lapland. Well, the end of the day, to get you in the mood for the Christmas season. I know it's a little bit early, but uh, I'll, put some, I'll put some pictures up on Instagram and you can see what I was contending with. I mean, through the avenues of trees, all frosty and frosticles and icicles hanging off the trees, snow everywhere, blanket of snow. And uh, you could see uh, frozen little creeks here and the sun reflecting and glistening across the frozen aspect of the creek. Oh, it was so tranquil. It's so still this morning. Snow is so clean, isn't it? So quiet, so tranquil, so beautiful. And one of the things I like about this, this, this weather, if you're a dog walker, if you uh, put on your sort of uh, yak tracks, which I had on, I had a new pair of yak tracks, much, much thicker rubber, much thicker rubber on these ones. And I think, I, I feel like I'm wearing, uh, I feel like I'm going swimming. I feel like I'm going snorkeling and I have the flippers on. That's how thick the rubber is. 
is as thick as a rubber mask you'd put on if you're a gimp or if you're into scuba diving. Well, I'm not at either of those. <laughs> you'd be glad to hear that, I suppose. Um, but very thick rubber and a little, little um, pointy things on there. I feel like I'm going track running. I've got my spikes on, as I would have done back in the day if I was an athlete, which, uh, you know, obviously I'm not. Um, but, you know, one of the things I like about this type of weather is it's so cold, and it's, I think it was probably like seven or eight degrees this morning. So long johns on, there's slightly yellowing 1930s long johns that have been passed down for generations of butlers over the years. That sort of, I, I think my great-grandfather, my great-great-great-grandfather all have worn these long johns, and that sort of has that sort of musty smell and that slightly yellowy sweat stains, if you know what I'm saying, yeah. Um, but yeah, so cold, everything's frozen, including, including the dog feces, the dog poop is frozen. And that's absolutely perfect because if you step in it, it's not going to get caked onto the shoe. Or so I thought. So this morning, walking along and uh, with my cleats on, with my crampons, with the spikes on, and I think, oh my God, this is incredibly uncomfortable. I think I've stood on a rock or something. So I lifted my foot up and almost like a dirty poopy kebab, there was a piece of dog shit on the spike of my crampon. Yep, it's like you're, you're bringing it around onto the flame. You're toasting it around. It was like a sausage on a stick. It was a piece of shit on the crampon, on the spike. And I'm thinking, you know what? I, I, I thought that the frozen dog poop would be my best friend, but alas, it's found a way onto the end of my shoe. And, uh, you know, I have to somehow find another stick or I'm taking that home for dinner. So some of the things that we may or may not be talking about on this very, very snowy, frosty, uh, snow angel type of podcast. I mean, I'm covered all over my back and legs because I'm being doing vigorous snow angels outside this morning. And, uh, you know, if you had the angel Gabriel who was doing snow angels, that would be a rather large angel Gabriel doing snow angels in the snow. I mean, I don't think the angel Gabriel or any of the angels that visited. Am I right in saying this? I'm probably showing my complete confusion here. Did the angels come and visit Jesus in the stable? The wise men the angels and the shepherds I believe was it the angel Gabriel I can't remember but anyway but angel Gabriel wouldn't be able to uh, get into the stable at my size and uh, also he might uh, he might bring all the hay tumbling down and everything else you know but it's complete uh, it would be a complete mess and uh, they'd have to bring extra food in as well I mean in, in, into the stable they'd have to bring extra food in if I was visiting in my guise as the angel Gabriel um, yeah, you'd have to be a buffet, like a breakfast buffet or something, uh, before I go on my angelic duties for the rest of the day. Yeah, that's what would definitely have to happen. Now, my mother enlightens me to many things, but she enlightened me the other day to invisible cotton. She said, I have trouble threading the needle because the cotton is invisible. Now, you know, James Bond had an invisible Aston Martin. How about in the next James Bond movie? He has a suit made completely out of invisible cotton. There's one for you producers of Eon Productions who make the James Bond movies. 
Also, the Blue Coat Saga. We're having that as well. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day over the course of the weekend. How about a vindaloo with no potatoes when you're playing Russian roulette with clams? Also, how long can a McDonald's burger stay out and about without being refrigerated? Uh, well, many would agree, many would disagree. My stomach turned the other day when I realized that a burger had been left out for five hours. Now, come on now. It wasn't me who was eating it. I promise that. I would never, never touch it. Never touch it. Yes, no, Mrs. No. Ooh. Anyway, we talked about frozen turds being a godsend when they're really not. Uh, facts about the UK that sound made up. Uh, you know you're getting old when you dot, 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 dot. Welcome to the Crimbo season. Some of the things uh, that uh, caught my attention during the week pricked my little elfin ears. And, uh, well, they're not really elfin ears, they're more like Dumbo. We're not talking African elephant. Well, no, we are talking African, not Indian elephant here. So this was sent to me in the week, Muff Management. So if you need some Muff Management before Christmas, there's a the Brazilian is £25, and the Hollywood is £30. Now what, so the Brazilian is, you know, is it the front? Is the Hollywood also waxing the back? So the Hollywood £30 more, do you get like Botox injected in there as well or something? I mean, I, I just, just trying to, <laughs> or maybe you have a Hollywood star as well. You can have your muff managed and you get a free Hollywood star as well. I mean, that, that could probably be the case. And also, it was uh, it was pickle day. It was uh, it was the day in November in the year where they celebrate pickles. And Jimmy John's was uh, freaky fast rewards. You can go and get your muff management freaky fast, and also you can get a free jumble pickle. But you can get a huge free jumble pickle pickle on National Pickle Day. A free large jumble pickle. Quite don't don't really understand. Is this like just a huge cucumber? I like the little ones as well. Are they called Corinthians? Conicians? Cornucopians? Something like that. Anyway, they're my favorite. And a man wanted for stealing a whole doner kebab. Well, I had a whole doner kebab uh, attached to my spike this morning. Police have released a CCTV footage of a man who stole a 70 pound lump of doner at the Zagros takeaway on Frygate last night. He ordered a large kebab and then complained it wasn't big enough. After a short argument, the man ran into the back and legged it with a full doner kebab. This is a huge piece of meat, and why is he shirtless? He was last seen running past the Adelphi's while drunk students watched in amazement. I mean, that's that's a huge bit of meat he's carrying. He's shirtless. He's oiling himself up as the oil's dripping off the doner kebab onto his chest, and he's got a big smile on his face. Now, how long could a doner kebab stay on the countertop without eating it? But anyway, if you see this man with his large piece of meat, you need to contact the Frygate police then. So I this, saw this on Twitter. I mean, Twitter's going to be, be, be defunct, isn't it? Closed for the next week or something? So will I be able to like my tweets? Will I be able to retweet? Will I be able to look up my tweets? Well, this is still available, luckily. What's your favourite fact about the UK that sounds made up? It's illegal to carry a salmon in suspicious circumstances. And how does the law define suspicious? We have a town called Shitterton. And also there's Licky End. The UK voluntarily left the world's most lucrative free trade area. 
yet the only country to impose economic sanctions on itself in the history of man. In 1906, Britain entered into the service HMS Dreadnought, a battleship so far superior than any other battleship on the planet that got instantly made obsolete. The ship got a single kill during World War I, the only kill on a German submarine it got via ramming it. For the f last four consecutive years, the Christmas number one has been songs about sausage rolls. And the rural beekeeper, in an arcane tradition, thought to date back centuries, has informed the hives of the palace, uh, a bucking palace, that the uh, bees had been told that the queen had died. So the bees had to be told that Her Majesty the Queen had died. And why do beekeepers tell they uh, tell them, why do beekeepers tell their their residents about death? For centuries, beekeepers across Europe had kept this incredibly ancient tradition of honeybees being messages by telling the bees. This is why the beekeeper treated their bees as extended members of their own family and kept them informed of any family news in the household, including deaths. In England, you sometimes see these corrugated brick fences. As a curious as it may seem, this shape uses fewer bricks than a straight wall. This is a wound, this looks like a curly-whirly made into a fence and it uses fewer bricks than a straight wall. They're not just for saving bricks, it uses them for growing fruits. They'll gather much more sunlight from a bendy-wendy fence because it's British Dutch design because of the lack of nice weather. It helps growing fruit on these twisty-turny fences. In Scotland, it is illegal for a man to refuse a woman's proposal of marriage on the 29th of February. If prosecuted, he could be fined the cost of a pair of gloves to cover the woman's embarrassingly bare wedding ring finger. We'll have more of these later. So as I said at the top of the show, my mother enlightened me to the use of invisible cotton. So I thought, well, you know what? I need to, uh, I need to search up invisible cotton. And I searched up invisible cotton, and guess what? Guess what uh, appeared on my Google search here? Shop our truly invisible cotton underwear, our invisible cotton panties, soft, breathable cotton underwear, and bralettes. I mean, of course it's breathable because it's invisible. It's not there. Is that really what it means? I don't know. The first truly seamless cotton underwear, these cotton panties and bralettes breathe like pure cotton, and they're completely invisible. You don't have to take them off. I mean, are they so invisible and not protruding at all that if you use the bathroom, you don't realize they're there and then you urinate and defecate in your underwear? I mean, th th these are things that I'm sort of worried about here. But threading the invisible cotton for a needle, how is that done? She said, well, well my, your dad could probably uh, thread an invisible piece of cotton and an invisible needle. Now, I mean, dad's great at many things, but he can see an invisible item and thread an invisible needle. I mean, these are, these are, this is like mind blowing. This is the emoji, you know, brain blowing up here. That's, that's what I, when I hear this, invisible cotton. But you know, that, that's what it is. I, I, I think that I need to buy my uh, best and greatest, uh, my lovely girlfriend. I, I think I need to get her invisible cotton garments. What do you get me for Christmas? Well, it's invisible underwear, darling. And the Texas homeowner says hooker ghosts have taken over rental property. They're trying to stir up business. Oh, you naughty little apparition, you. A Texas woman made a spooky discovery about her rental home in Gainesville after several renters claimed it was haunted. Linda Hill, owner of the Hill House Manor, told Jesse Waters primetime she was taking a shower when she heard somebody say, looking good. 
I thought it was my husband, I mean, and I was the only one in the house. However, it was not a husband making the comments, it was a ghost, she added. It was an apparition. I spoke to him, you know, he told me I was looking good. I said, thank you. And I asked him what he'd been doing the day and we had a conversation and he left. She added that she believes that the home has made many different types of ghosts. We've got kids, we've got old people, old guys, we've got hookers. The most common type of ghost that comes around are hookers, Hills claimed. Male renters, she said, have been told they felt somebody stroking their face, stroking their arm or touching their shoulder. I mean, it makes me wonder, the only thing you could see on the ghost-like hooker apparition is probably the invisible underwear. If the apparition is wearing invisible underwear, you probably could see it, right? I mean, that sort of makes sense. Jesse Waters quipped that the good thing about a hooker ghost was you don't have to pay it. I mean, don't you have to pay in like ghostly monopoly money? Pay in, pay in farthing shillings? <laughs> Give them half a crown for their services? Well, uh, you're very good, my girl. I'm going to give you half a crown. Yes, that's absolutely lovely. Yes, should I take my pipe out of my mouth? Anyway, the Hill House owner said the ghost did follow a renter home one time, but eventually got tired. So you got ghostly hooker stalkers as well. She said she told the man to tell the ghost to come home, and they did. She came back up here. No Apple AirTag required on this hooker apparition. The rental home reportedly been a popular spot in recent months of paranormal investigators. Well, I guess so, you've got the hooker ghost there. Yes, um, I think we're going to stay an extra night, darling. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we haven't really found anybody and found any apparitions these first two nights. So I think we're going to stay an extra night. Yes, it's lovely here. Hello, hello, hello. What have we got going on here then? We'll handle this, mom. Ghosts don't cross the proton streams. So I had a virtual tussle the other day on eBay. I don't know if anybody still uses eBay, do they? I mean, it's probably old fogies like myself. But uh, yeah, so I bought this coat and it was navy blue. It was one of these sort of fashionable coats. So a little bit too short for a man of my lengthening torso. And uh, well, no, it's, it's lovely. I mean, it's very, very warm, very, very light. You can fold it up and put it in your luggage. I mean, you should be a salesman, shouldn't I? And um, it's, uh, it's, it's very lovely. Lots of little zips and everything. It's very puffy made of recycled material, so I'm helping the earth along the way. But anyway, I started wearing it and um, realized there was a little nick, a little rip, a little tear in one of the arms. Very, very tiny. Uh, it looked like maybe a dormouse or field mouse has like been gnawing it or something like that. Anyway, so I, uh, I thought, oh, this is a bloody, bloody, what bloody hell's going on here? So I contacted the seller and I took a picture, and he said, well, uh, you know, I just, um, I, the, I, I sent you a, a navy blue coat. It was, uh, it was not shiny. You sent me a picture of, of, of a green coat. I said, well, what are, you, what are you doing here, man? It's blue. I mean, I don't know if the, uh, the seller was uh, colorblind or something. I mean, it's entirely possible. So I took all these, all these different pictures. Can you just uh, take a, a, do you have a picture with the uh, the pricing tag on? you have a pricing tag uh, label on that? So I took a picture, took all sorts of different pictures in varying lights. I mean, I, I felt that I needed to bring in a professional photographer to take this picture. 
because it, uh, you know, he wasn't believing me. Well, it, uh, it still looks clean to me. Are you sure you didn't order another coat that was, uh, was an L- emerald green, you know? I said, no, th- I, this is a blue coat. I've taken all these different pictures. I, don't, I just don't know if this is the coat that, uh, that you bought, that I sent you. I, this is just a picture of another coat. I need a picture of you in the mirror with the coat on. So I, uh, you know, slipped on the coat and, uh, you know, took a picture of myself, a selfie. I sort of smiled or maybe grimaced it through gritted teeth. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I got you. It was a, I, it was an double XL. That looks like a large gold. That is a different gold. I thought I'm going from German to Italian here, aren't I? In my, in my voices. I don't know who, but what nationality this is. But trying to differentiate myself and the, and the, and the seller. And I said, look, this is the blue coat. This is the one I bought. Here's the, here's the Nick, I want it replaced. Or I'm going to put a negative review on eBay. I'm going to contact the authorities. I'm going to speak to your manager. I'm going to speak to your manager, dear sir. So eventually, nothing. Nothing. Not, no, not heard. Decided to change uh, the rating. And uh, this guy basically sold me a dud with a tiny little Nick which I hopefully mother can sew up with uh, invisible thread, invisible cotton. Not, you know, packed with invisible knickers or anything. Hopefully won't be that, that won't be the case. But there we go. That is the blue coat saga where I was uh, jousting with a gentleman who has sold me the coat on eBay who is clearly colorblind. In California sober, it's a trendy way not to quit drugs. Don't do drugs, or rather do do drugs if you must, but don't do the really bad ones, is what might seem an unusual departure of the absolute abstinence to counter the demons of addiction. A growing number of users in the West Coast of America are trying California sober, once led by the endorsement of Demi Lovato. The Singer 30 carried on using cannabis following a near-fatal heart attack in 2018 after overdosing on fentanyl the synthetic opioid that is a driving force behind America's drug death epidemic. Supporters of the method, which generally means abstaining from hard drugs such as heroin, but still indulging in cannabis, argues that it helps addicts steer clear of more deadly substances. Opponents warn it's a slippery slope. Far from being another wellness fad, it could prove fatal down the line, they warn. The approach returned to the headlines this week following the death of pop star Erin Carter. Addiction specialists, however, disagree. Scott Silverman, who runs a treatment clinic in San Diego, said it was not a long-term solution. Eventually, go back to whatever drugs of choice is. If you're taking things that are mood-altering because your brain gets triggered, it's kind of like the person who says, I'm on a diet, but I'm not going to eat cookies. I'm going to keep eating cake. It's just a mind game, an excuse, a camouflage for the behavior so somebody wants to continue without being judged. Studies have shown that heavy use of high-potency marijuana can induce psychosis. Silverman said the best advice for addicts was to steer clear of the California sober approach. For somebody who has a disease of addiction, they don't really have the luxury of taking things in moderation because moderation contradicts the whole theory behind compulsive, obsessive, addictive behavior. Lovato now agrees, I no longer support my California sober ways. So I want to add a book for my Christmas list. English Food, A People's History by Diane Perkis. Fancy a bowl of sheephead soup. Uh, this is a witty acerbic history of English eating habits from medieval banquets to Victorian snacks. It sounds absolutely fascinating. 
The banquet to celebrate the enthronement of George Neville of Archbishop of York in 1465 was bad news for the animal kingdom. The menu included a hundred oxen, a thousand sheep, four thousand rabbits, two thousand pigs, five hundred deer, two hundred goats, and a partridge in a pear tree. No, a dozen porpoises. No, not the baby porpoises. A dolphin in foil. The outlook for birds wasn't much better. 2,000 chickens, cranes, herons, swans, pheasants, curlews, mallards, egrets, uh, sandpipers and quails. All this is washed down with 300 tons of ale and 100 tons of wine. And we haven't even got to dessert. The feast was meant to be conspicuous consumption. Banquets of this type were typically held outside in daylight so the poor could watch their betters eating the food symbolized power eating like a king wrote diane perkins professor of english at oxford university food in other words is not just about filling the stomach it's shaper and signifier carrying symbolic importance so many ways eating a greasy pie instead of a prawn sandwich at a football match is a statement of identity perkins a food obsessive i don't know if he allowed a greasy pie Certainly not a bottle of uh, beer at the Qatar World Cup coming up. Perkis, a food obsessive, emphasizes its capacity to unite. To be left out of the feast is to be left out of society as a whole, left out of ancestry, family, community. Yet despite its importance to the human condition, food gets neglected by historians. It's everywhere and nowhere, taking for granted, invisible yet assumed to be ever-present. It's given attention only when it's scarce. Historians love a good famine. The book English Food is Perkis's attempt to correct that neglect by analyzing English eating habits since Roman times. It's a cornucopia of fascinating culinary oddities. Every page brings astonished revelation. In 1660, Samuel Pepys would regularly sit down to a breakfast of oysters, calf tongues and anchovies, washed down with wine, sometimes too much wine. Thomas Malthus despised the potato because its annoying ability to keep the poor fed. It has upended his gloomy predictions about scarcity, keeping population in check before the refrigeration and homogenization of milk was customary, sold as a street food directly from the cow's udder. Yeah, uh, hello there, my love. Can I have a uh, can I can I have a quarter gold top, please? Milk was customarily sold as street food from the cow's udder. Uh, did you have to milk it yourself? Uh, yeah, so sorry, yeah, sorry, love. You you have to bring your own bottle. Mass-produced tin food arrived in 1822, but the tin opener took another 50 years to arrive until it did. Cooks used a hammer and chisel. Ice cream was not that popular in Victorian period because of rotting teeth rendered it painful to eat. So the British don't like ice cream. In 1851, there were 20 ice cream sellers on London streets, 300 selling sheep's trotters. Perkis is refreshingly iconoclastic, acerbic, witty, opinionated, and devoid of pomposity. You wouldn't say that about my podcast, would you? Food snobs, she argues, are myopically nostalgic against old England. They imagined a time of stale cultural status when food was produced locally, prepared wholesomely, and did not damage the environment. The time never existed, she bluntly assessed. While she accepts that the factory methods of lesser with tasteless chicken and bread, she nevertheless insists the food standards have improved significantly over time. Nowadays, the English are seldom killed by their food, nor do they routinely starve. As a reminder of the past standards, she cites that in 1899, analysis found that ice cream contained bed bugs, fleas, and also bed straw, coal dust, tobacco, and human hair, but very little cream. She also notes, ironically, that food snobs have never been nostalgic towards sheephead soup, tripe, bread and dripping, in other words, the diet of urban poor back then. 
but some of Perkis's more provocative comments are frankly bizarre. At one point, she muses on why the English ate rabbits, but not rats. She said both are rodents. In fact, rabbits aren't rodents. She riffs on the similarities between humans and pigs, speculating that pork offers a nice way around the cannibalism taboo. The pig meat feast announces that we have decided not to eat one another. Chicken, she uh, speculates, is attractive because it's white. White food is pure, mother's milk innocent. The, uh, the semiotics are powerful. Cakes, she regrets, have been transformed into a symbol of ceremony, to a sinful pleasure. The baked goods of today are the lowest ebb. Once they were festive, now they're bedizened surfaces. They keep all mine. The saints may weep. That sounds oddly nostalgic. Provides chapters on specific food items, breadfish apples, milk, cake, eggs, chicken. The evolving, evolving rituals of breakfast, lunch, tea and dinner. Such chapters cover roughly the same period. Repetition inevitably results. That, you know, that's the mantra of this podcast. <laughs> Repetition inevitably results. If you were teaching a class on the Great War, you'd be devote to a seminar of food. Students would bring dishes made from 1917 rations, such as chicken fricassee made without chicken. We stopped short of sparrow pie. One student would bring a cake without fat, eggs or much sugar. It tasted horrible and adhered to the roof of one's mouth for hours. It was immaterial. Cake is symbolic. It's an anchor to tradition. As Perkis argues, the ingredients of wartime cake could, be, could not be used in something more nutritious. But that's not the point. Even a horrible cake is good for morale. To stop eating cake was to surrender. Food, Perkis argues, can be both elevating and inspirational. That certainly is true, and there's never enough, never enough of it. She captures the elevating inspirational rather well after a good meal. Virginia Woolf once exclaimed, one cannot think well, love well, sleep well, if one has not dined well. This book is about food, but it's almost importantly about how food defines us. Oh, Santa, bring me the food book. Very British Problems official. Hopefully we'll still be on Twitter after Twitter's closed for the next week. Brit1, hello, how are you? Brit2, I'm fine, thanks. How about you? Brit1, yeah, I'm good. How about you? Brit1 immediately realises they've asked how are you twice and has no choice but to smile through the pain. After much discussion with my partner, I am finally agreed that mizzle is lighter than the soft day rain, which itself lighter than drizzle, a new era of Anglo-Irish accord. Knowing a Brit about to blow when they quietly say, I beg your pardon? Making sure to say, bit wet out there. To everybody you see when you come in, absolutely drenched. And on the very British Problems official Christmas cards, uh, ready for Christmas? Yeah, just about. You, do a few bits and bobs left to get. Well, if I don't see you, have a good one. And they did a, a caption competition in a week on Twitter. It was a single solitary Brussels sprout in the street near the sidewalk, near the pavement. Um, and it was sort of covered in ice. And the winner of the caption was, our sprout in the middle of the street. The wife being the romantic sort sent her husband a text. If you were sleeping, send me your dreams. If you were laughing, send me your smile. If you're eating, send me a bite. If you're drinking, send me a sip. If you're crying, send me your tears. I love you. The husband, typically non-romantic, replied, I'm on the toilet. Please advise. Forget reading tea leaves predicting the World Cup. We have a 10-year-old alpaca who has made choices. Now, is... Are alpacas and llamas the same animal? I often ask this question. 
Can somebody answer it, please? The 10-year-old alpaca made his choices by choosing between two separate feeding stations covered in opposing flags. The psychic alpaca had good news for England fans, but Wales supporters won't be happy if his World Cup predictions come true. The mystic animal says the three lions will make it through to the knockout stage at the World Cup starting in a couple of days. But he says, I, I didn't know alpacas could actually talk, but he says England will not be completely easy riding the group, will lose to Iran on the opener. Sadly for Wales, Alpha the alpaca thinks the World Cup dream will, will then crushing out at the group stage. Keepers at the fairy tale farm in Oxfordshire decided to put Alfie's fortune-telling abilities to the test, but they said he's one of the smarter, responsive alpacas. I'd hate to see what the uh, the, the stupid, thick alpacas were. The uh, maybe too, too much cloth around the ears. The ten-year-old uh, alpaca made his choices, accompanied by fluffy friends Horace and Hagrid. <laughs> Got some. Uh, got some harry potter fans there by choosing between two separate feeding stations covered in opposing flags england is in group b and will face wales iran and the usa alfie's not certain whether england and the us will top the group with both countries finishing the group stages with two wins he says wales and iran will not get through to the next stage nick lassiter who looks after alfie said alfie is one of our smarter and very responsive alpacas on the farm who has the abundance of common sense so if I picked to pick an animal to make the right decision, it would be him. He said he's hoping Alfie's wrong about England and Wales and can make both through to the group stages. England will start their campaign for victory on Monday, taking on Iran at the Khalifa International Stadium. My question is, was it sort of more hay in one of the one of the troughs rather than the other? You know, did they have a little bit more hay in the English trough than the Welsh trough? That's, you know... I'm sure the alpaca's drawn to where their trough is more fulsome. But who knows? This could be Mystic Mega the Alpacas. One of the biggest fights in English households. Saw this. My wife leaving used tea bags next to the sink instead of putting them in the bin is making me seriously consider divorce. I fully subscribe for a little brown tea bag tick. Please take no deal on Musk. Teabag, teabag disposal and teabagging are not subjects we English take lightly. And we love items that have been smuggled into prisons here on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. The wife of a prisoner who swallowed four mobile phones to smuggle into a Delhi jail has pleaded with surgeons to operate, fearing her husband might explode. Let's just hope it wasn't the uh, iPhone Max. Did he swallow them or... Are they shoved up his rectum? The authorities say that Ramesh Sani, a convicted robber, continually set off metal detectors when he travelled to and from court hearings. A serial offender with 11 criminal convictions was made to undergo an extra in August, but this did not reveal anything. A subsequent CT scan and endoscopy, however, showed four mini mobile phones measuring about four centimetres in his stomach. Sani confesses he swallowed them in March. Shridha Shravastri, a gastroenterologist in Delhi, who removed many mobile phones from prisoners, said they often swallow them to sell in prisons. They're very highly valued. God, just imagine squeezing out that iPhone Max. I mean, if it was a little Nokia, I could, I could squeeze out a little Nokia, but not an iPhone Max. His colleagues at the hospital operated on Sunny in September and removed two phones through an endoscopy. It's tricky because there's two constriction points between the stomach and the upper esophagus while you manoeuvre. I hope they weren't 5G because a lot of people think 5G gives you cancer.
I went on a date with a redhead once who told me that coronavirus wasn't real, but she would never let her kids near a mobile phone because the 5G could cause you cancer. Doctors are unable to tackle the other two as they're delicately positioned inside a valve. You don't want anything delicately positioned inside a valve, do you? Oh. The, f- f- the food passes inside the stomach until it passes into the small intestine. This requires open surgery and no date has yet been fixed for the jail authorities. Well, let's hope it didn't have a case on it as well. I mean, that would make it more, even more problems. We have a life ahead of us. I want to jail people who, to act quickly. The phones may explode. This is what the wife said. They might explode here. Once swallowed, prisoners retrieve a phone by inducing vomiting. Oh, oh the, uh, yeah, that's a knock here. There's a Motorola. All right, here's a big one. The iPhone mini. Thank you so much for listening to this snow-laden, trekking through the snow to grandmother's house. It's really a winter wonderland. Absolutely beautiful. I have to put the pictures up for everybody, all and sundry to see. Uh, But if you like the podcast, like and subscribe. You can listen on Apple Music, Apple Podcasts. You can listen on Spotify as an audio version, Slacker Breaker, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Audible, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. But also... If you're sort of bored of my voice, and something, you know, admittedly, sometimes I do get very bored of my voice as well, you can listen on uh, and listen in between my utterings. There is music on the Butler Emporium Musical Edition, and this week we have some Janis Joplin. We also have, yes, Whamageddon. I warn you, don't listen to the Butler Edition if you want to be whamageddon too early. We do have uh, some Elton John as well. We have some absolute delightful Jimi Hendrix, um, and food, glorious food, punctuating our little ancient food story. Coming up next, though, we do have, hopefully, a seasonal poem. This is snow falling silently. The night sky is a dull grey white. An opaque dust sheet floats so light. Upon the roofs and lamps and cars, it settles so softly like falling stars. It sneaks into crevices and onto windowsills, piles onto soft layers over roads and hills, weighs down branches, envelopes bark, skips and flutters across the depth of dark. With dawn a scene of raw meringue, from bow to bridge and roof does hang, through night's deep slumber a silent world descended, a ghostly shroud unfurled. In slow motion, life begins to show the terrific crawls in funeral row. Children squill in soundless delight, pedestrians slide in voiceless fright. A world transformed into monochrome, an aerosol sky spraying its white foam, floating in breathless, boundless speed, submerging all with voracious greed. I will be back again before the close of the weekend, hopefully still upright and not slipped over anything, and nothing pronged to my spike. No dirty naughty doggy kebab on my spike uh until next time cheerio the new reality and and what it would mean i realized that having one foot in and one foot out wouldn't work Three. Back. Oh. All happened 
very organically for me. Really? I had to determine that my husband and I would both want to be in D.C., that it was viable to move our children, that they would be happy in their new environment. Um, after new releases. Ken's new releases. This week, baby dolls or grown-up girls. Something different, something fun, for only £4.50. Baby dolls make a perfect present for grown-up girls. Baby dolls now, from Dorothy Perkins. Come on in, try it on, it's after I decided I wanted to try, I needed to divest of numerous businesses. Um, so did my husband. And I Insignia's got everything, shampoo to shower gel, deodorant and aftershave with one all over smell. Insignia, the new all-over body program. It's new Insignia, and it's all over now. How I could help my father and ultimately the country. Tunes. How I could help my father and ultimately the country. Tunes. 